From the entertainment capital of the world, I'm Christopher Calloway, and this is Creator Talks, the show where writers and artists working in comic books and other mediums are the stars. And my guest this week, Leanna Kangas. She is the artist for She Said Destroy Vault Comics and of Devil's Die Through Black Mask. Before Leanna packed up for San Diego Comic-Con, I caught up with her and asked her about her invigorating experience at Heroes Con and her recent book tour. Besides always being on the move, Leanna has moved many times. Ask her why is that and what she likes about her new home, Memphis. We dive into her latest work, which just wrapped up Devil's Die, and one reaching its midpoint, she said destroy. And when I kick back with the creator, I ask her one of my questions that it just so happens she likes to ask everyone. And we digress a bit about what we do with all those comics that we have collected. Where do we put them? How do we manage all that volume? And original art. We don't have enough wall space for all that art. How do we handle that? So we have a lot of fun talking about that. And we also go back to one of her early jobs. She used to work in a comic book shop for credit. So I find out what that experience was like and some of the creators that she ran into while working in a comic book shop. And I also found out what her first art job was. And it wasn't making pictures. No, it was something else. Something that would whet anyone's appetite. I always have a great time talking to Leanna, and I haven't seen her since Heroes Con last year, so please join me now with the artist of She Said Destroy, and apparently many other comic books in the works, here now on Creator Talks. Leanna, welcome to Creator Talks. Hey, how are you? I'm doing great, and you know, it's funny, I'm in Vegas, and you were out here vacationing about a week before I came out to vacation because you were going to places that I went to. That's true. And you gave me great recommendations. <laughs> I saw you were in Red Rocks. Mm-hmm. What'd you think of that? Uh, it was gorgeous. However, we definitely took the scenic route. Uh, that was my dog. <laughs> um. <laughs> Good morning, doggy. <laughs> <laughs> it ended up raining, I want to say 10 minutes by the time we got there. Luckily, we had the car. <laughs> no hiking was to be had, but we definitely got to see it, and it was gorgeous. Oh, wow. You had rain. I haven't seen rain yet. That's so weird. It is incredibly weird. It was cold, too, that entire weekend. <laughs> well, I think that's one of the wettest springs they've had in years. And I was reading about that area, that the uh, attendance has gone up so quickly that they're going to have to figure out some way to manage the volume of people because it just gets packed when you drive in and you go to the parking lot and there's where all the main trails are. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's becoming a problem, actually, because that's a number one tourist spot. But the number two, apparently, is Peppermill because we were both there. That's an amazing place. Yes. I couldn't believe, you know, the... <laughs> he couldn't he believe it either. Yeah, he couldn't. He has a lot to say, apparently. Yeah, the pepper mill, when you walk in, I couldn't believe, I guess, the illusion that the mirrors give inside the place, because from the photos, it looks gigantic, and mm-hmm. it kind of does when you get there. But when you finally sit down, you're like, oh, the ceiling is mirrors. That's why it looks so massive. It's like my house. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> You moved into one of those old school Vegas 90s houses with uh, (laughs) with some mirrors. That's awesome. No, that's a great place. The fruit plates are gigantic. (laughs) Everything's gigantic. All the food's huge. 
I wish I could say I was being healthy that trip, but I it's hard, <laughs> very difficult. But we're here to talk comics. Yes. You used to work in a comic shop as a teen in Florida, and the best part—and this would work for me right now—for credit. Yes. When you were there, did you meet any celebrities? Who was your first celeb? When I say celeb, I mean, of course, comic celebrity like yourself. Who did you first meet? It was either Carl Moline, Mo- Moline. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. I think he was on Buffy. Okay. And or Maury Hallowell, who I ended up kind of becoming friends with. Um, he was the colorist on Civil War. He was really cool. Him and I have an affinity for Robin and Batman, so he was easy to like talk to and stuff like that. But probably Carl, because I didn't really talk to him that much, which means I was probably a little nervous. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was really young back then, too, so it makes sense. It checks out. Well, how long were you working there? That is a good question. I met Rick, who's the owner of that shop, I want to say in 2006 or 2007. So still technically a teen. And then um, I want to say helped him out for a couple years then and before, you know, getting a barrage of other jobs. Well, you probably had enough time to meet a lot of customers. And I'm wondering, were there any characters there anyone that was a really big personality who came into the shop also could you put people into certain categories almost like a, a simple myers-briggs you know there's the uh, the spoiler the one who comes in and wants to talk about all the books uh <laughs> the person who's the completest who has to have every issue of whatever and you know why am i not getting superman this week i ordered it were there certain ones that came in that and no names please of course <laughs> i need that stand out I want to say that a lot of the time that I spent there was, so their counter setup was pretty interesting. I would be more on the left-hand side with another friend of mine, Sean, who, rest in peace, he was one of our closest friends. He passed away. He and I would actually log a lot of the comics on mycomicshop.com. And the regular register, I kind of was dealt with people back then. One guy's name was Steve. One guy's name was... um, I want to say Jeff. I think a lot of the customers I ended up meeting later on were friends of the shop that, you know, are just normal people that I would have hung out with. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really think of them as customers, but some of the people were kind of chill about everything in the same way that I would have been. You know, I just pick up my books. If it's not there, it's not there and wait for it next week. I think a lot of the more stereotypical personalities I didn't quite as run into, uh, mostly probably because we weren't there on Wednesdays to log MCS. We would have probably been in the way, which kind of makes more sense that way. <laughs> but the other shop that I worked at, I have uh, tons of different types of personalities I could go on about for sure. <laughs> I guess a lot of people would just hang out at the comic shop. Yeah, that was a cool thing that Rick tried to build a community of for his shop. He always had a bigger shop and always made it a space where people could go and, you know, kind of read or hang out with friends. And that was the whole purpose, I think, of why he wanted to open a shop. And that's why they're still so important today. Even with digital, even with mail order, you got to hang out, got to talk about it. And he's still very successful, too. That's good. Like he flew out to Emerald City, actually, uh, and surprised me at my booth. And had me sign a whole bunch of his books for the shop. Oh, that's nice. (laughs) Yeah, it totally made my con. They have an incredibly huge space. They ended up opening up in a massive 
old movie theater that got torn down, totally gutted out. So it's two theaters and one main lobby, which is a pretty huge shop in my opinion. I wanted to ask you about moving. If I'm correct on this, you've moved quite a few times. You were in Florida, then you went to Canada, Mm -hmm. and now you're in Memphis. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Did I miss any? Jersey. Jersey. I was in New Jersey for a couple of years. Yeah. You know, and those are big moves. I mean, I've moved, I kind of thought about it six times, but all in the same state within like a 25 mile radius. But you've made big moves. Yes. <laughs> Why is that? I met my partner in 2010. We had met in Orlando, which was uh, about an hour from Melbourne, which is my hometown. We kept in touch and started dating and... I think I want to say a couple years into dating, we got engaged and his work actually wanted to transfer him to Toronto or near Toronto. So it's like a suburb of Toronto. He asked if I wanted to go with and I was like, well, I guess I don't have anything to lose. Might as well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, that's like a kind of like a dream opportunity. Somebody to ask you to move out of country. So. Yeah, we did it and had a great time. And his company wanted to transfer him again. Every time I keep telling him that he just needs to stop being so good and stop getting promoted. <laughs> so Maybe we'd have a couple of years. <laughs> but I'm really proud of him. He works incredibly hard and, you know, supports what I do, which is a huge thing as to why I do it. You need a good partner behind you. Same for me. I couldn't do what I do without the support of my, my wife and family. There's just no way. Yeah, exactly. And so he's still working for the same company. Yep. And that's why you moved again to Memphis. Mm-hmm. And I love Memphis so much. It's an incredible city. We actually had moved here right after Canada for six months. And, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, just typical uh, job moving us right back to Jersey, which was super great for me because I got to meet all of, we met, for instance, Mm -hmm. and I met some of my best comic friends like Vida Ayala and Erica Schultz, now my co-collaborator, Joe Corallo. It's worked out really well. And because I do this, I can do it from anywhere. I pretty much just keep telling my partner, you know, Mike, uh, he's... I mean, we can move anywhere. I don't mind. As long as you, as long as it's like livable, it's great. What industry does he work in? He works in industrial engineering, plants and stuff like that. All right. He's incredibly smart. So I think there's kind of like this comics joke that goes around a little bit. I want to say Robert Wilson had said it. Something like, oh, my wife is a brain surgeon. Don't quote me on that because I think... That's what she is, but I'm not sure. And I'm a comic artist. <laughs> and I, I I relate to that deeply because my husband is an engineer and he is also kind of a musician and he does a lot of woodworking and stuff like that. Like he's built custom arcade cabinets and I all I do is draw. So <laughs> like he's a jack of all trades and I can put things on paper. <laughs> hey, that's quite the skill though. I love your art, and we're going to talk about that, and a lot of the people that you've mentioned, your collaborators. But I want to ask one more question about Memphis. What do you like about it so much so far? I've been there. I was there briefly back when I worked for a magazine, and it was like a conference, so I was there for a little bit, but I didn't really – I don't know what was wrong with me. I didn't go out and do enough. I should have, you know what I mean? (laughs) But I had to take notes and report back. But what do you like about it so far? What are some of your go-to places? In the first six months that we lived here, which is why we agreed to move back – we figured, you know, you can do pretty much everything in Memphis. 
in like a week, week and a half. For some people, that might not be a big appeal. You know, if people want to be like in a huge metropolitan area and never run out of things to do. This city in the past three years has aggressively evolved and has been opening so many different things. I kind of keep comparing it to a little bit like Austin in that a ton of startups are coming here and things like that. And it's the most accessibly drivable city that I've ever lived in. You can get to anywhere in 20 minutes. The roads are nice and are wider, uh, which if you tend to drive a lot, you know, with things like Jersey, there's tons of potholes and, you know, the drivers are kind of aggressive and the lanes are very small and New York and stuff like that. The people want to, so everyone that lives in Memphis loves Memphis as well. And I think they try to accumulate and foster and support a community. So everyone that we've met has been incredibly supportive and, you know, is kind of like a patron to the arts and music especially. So I think that's very beneficial for me. So the first time we actually lived here, there's a shop that in the six months that we were here, they've put all of my prints in their shop. Uh, I met a friend of mine, Amanda Hill. She used to be a journalist, but she owned a gallery space. She hosted my first solo art show. And I kept in touch with my old quote unquote boss. She kind of like gave me an internship for assisting her. She's a fine artist. So we've kind of all kept in touch and everyone's just incredibly supportive and always wants you to be doing the next thing and making Memphis better. So that's the main reason why I love Memphis. <laughs> uh, but tons of new spots that are opening up. I am a huge foodie and I think you are too. We've kind of maybe discussed this a little. Yes. Uh, there are an endless amount of places opening up here and one of the spots that we ended up picking to move uh, was because it was very close to one of my favorite restaurants. It's called Hog and Hominy. It's owned by this restaurant group in Memphis called Andrew Michael, who's a chef that I think he did a professional studying in Italy, but he mixes it with Southern food. I like that a lot. That and there's good. Yeah. And there's a really cool taco place out here called Babalu. And they have phenomenal cocktails and every type of taco you could think like when Damien from Vault came to town we picked that place because I was like I think everybody ever could eat there no matter what you know if anyone had like you know preferences or allergies or anything you would think tacos might not be the thing but they try to <laughs> They try to have a very like good menu. Yeah, that's one thing I've discovered too out here is that there's a lot of places to eat that are really good. And I don't mean like on the strip. I'm just talking like in the neighborhood area, like up in the north, because there's Del Taco. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which I know is, you know, just a chain, but still I was like, this is so good. I had something, mm -hmm. oh, some kind of chicken burrito. And I'm like, oh, man, this is great. This is so good. And then I realized they stuffed it with French fries. <laughs> Oh, wow. No that sounds like a Permani Brothers sandwich or something. No wonder that was so good. It's terrible yeah. for me. But there's other places, like there's Greek restaurants that are just phenomenal. And I went to get takeout. A lot of people waiting for their food. So I'm like, well, that's a good sign. Mm -hmm. And it was good, you know, because it's one of those things where the, the clerk actually showed me each thing that I ordered before packing it up to make sure that I had the right thing. I'm like, well, I, I like that. That's attention to detail. And mm -hmm. then they have a lot of Hawaiian barbecues up here. Oh, you'd love that. The Hawaiian oh, barbecue. Oh amazing. my god, it is so good! Like roast pork and chicken, and it's actually good for you. 
but yeah, I know we're both, we could go on about food and I haven't even had breakfast yet. So it's a bad idea. And I, (laughs) (laughs) you know, the biggest thing with food recently, because we just moved back here, Mm -hmm. um, I've been, you know, going to heroes and this, uh, Midwest tour and everyone's like, Hey, what do you want to eat? And I'm like, God, please anything except fried or red meat. Like we've taken so many people out since we've gotten here that everything is like Southern fried food or barbecue. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, I just need like a salad or vegetables. I know it fills you up. And then you're like, you just can't go out anymore to eat. You just want to have something really plain for a while to kind of, I don't know, detox and de-bloat. I know how you feel. I feel the same way sometimes. (laughs) But you mentioned Heroes Con. I am so sorry that I missed it, but I was in the middle of the move and I couldn't do both. And how was it? Please tell me about Heroes Con. So that was my second year. And as you well know, it's a very art-based show. So it's great for me because I get to see and meet all my favorite artists and everything. But it's definitely the show that since we've moved back, I got to see friends that I maybe usually wouldn't see. Like I won't be going to New York this year. So I'm mm-hmm. glad I got to like see them. And It was right after the first issue of She Said Destroy came out, so it was extremely successful for me. And, you know, my commission list filled right up uh, when I got there, and everyone was so supportive. And all of my table neighbors were super great. Like, I sat next to Jamie Jones, who apparently is also a collaborator with Vida Ayala. And um, it's it's just the best... People call it comics camp, and I definitely feel like that's a great way to describe it. I like that. Uh, Yeah. So, and, you know, everyone's really adamant about going out after the show. Like, um, I got to see my friends like Gavin Smith and Sue Lee, and it's just a big community-based show. So it makes me feel great. I'm on, like, a high for, like, two weeks after that of just, like, yeah, I have so much energy and like I can do so much stuff and I have so many ideas like right after. But yeah, we missed you out there. I know. I'm sorry. Also, congrats on moving. Oh, That's thank way you. more. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of bummed because I had like two panels planned and the organizers were like, oh, so what do you have in mind? I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm moving now because I had the idea for the panels before we even thought about moving. <laughs> so, <laughs> so there's, you know, always uh, Emerald City. Hopefully they'll uh, yes. consider yeah. my ideas and. You had some good ideas about the fun questions with a group of people, so uh, I might do that. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if they're interested. Well, you definitely have to let me know if you get the panels, because uh, I'm definitely going to Emerald City no matter what. Oh, I'm going. I already uh, explained to my wife. I said, please let me go, because I couldn't make Heroes. I probably won't make Baltimore unless I fly back to the East Coast, which, you know, probably not. Mm-hmm. So Emerald City would be the next stop and I have to do it because there was one here in Vegas like the weekend we arrived and I'm like I just can't do it we gotta Mm-mm. you know I have to see you guys because you know we should spend some time together because I started work the next day it's like I, yeah. I got here on Saturday Sunday we we're together and then work so yeah I just couldn't do mm-hmm. it but yeah Emerald City it's on my radar and I will uh, start planning for that early but you just wrapped up a tour did you not for um, she said the story yes. Tell me about the tour. Joe and I were talking, I want to say six or seven months back when we started issue one uh, and thinking, wouldn't it be fun to uh, plan this sort of like, you know, music tour, but uh, a signing tour. 
And I was like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. I'm central, so we could probably do a ton of Midwest stuff. And we looked at the map and we kind of planned everything out thinking like, oh, we know people in this city. We know people here. And like, we kind of planned around all of our friends, which is fun. We talked to David at Vault, David and Adrian. Adrian's like, that sounds like a good idea. David, take over, try to, you know, help them plan it. And uh, David helped us contact all the shops. And, you know, we made sure to have a ton of extra comp copies. And all of a sudden, it's like Joe booked his flight. We were, you know, making the flyers for each of the shops. And and then all of a sudden, Joe was here. And that was last week. Uh, the first stop was Memphis, so my my local shop here, and they treated us so well. And my shop actually was the first vault sketch cover that has ever been done. They did a retailer exclusive of, at their shop, and I was incredibly grateful. And we got to have this rad signing where a ton of people came out. It was Wednesday night, so of course, and. Uh, Met a ton of people from out of town, like Quaid on Twitter came. A ton of people from Twitter, actually, during the tour were like, oh, I follow you. And, you know, it was such a cool feeling to meet people that have read the book already and that were super supportive about it. We took each day to drive to each shop and then we would crash and then drive the next day. So we stopped by St. Louis and we signed at Apotheosis which is sort of like a comic shop lounge. It's owned by Martin. Rad shop. Never been to anything like it. Has like a coffee shop feel in the back. Oh, nice. And that's where we were signing. And a ton of comics creators came out. And I think St. Louis is like a big hub for comics people like um, Wendy Buski and Adrian Buski. They run Nerd for a Living. They live out there and they came out. And uh, Steens, who just won the, you know, the Wayne McDuffie Award for archival quality. We're kind of friends with her. So she came out, which was really awesome. Marie Anger kind of went to dinner with us. She... She uh, kind of showed us around. Yeah, she's awesome. She she toured us her studio with uh, Kate Sharon's at that studio, and two guys. I their names escaped me, but that was a fun, interesting thing to see in St. Louis. Um, and a ton of other people. Like one of the journalists that reviews Vault Comics, Matt, came out, and one of my friends, Chris, and his wife, and tons of people. It was insane. I won't bore you with all the details of all the other signings because I feel like that's a lot, but we saw Naperville in Chicago, which was Challenger's phenomenal shop. Dal and Patrick of Challenger's, amazing, like took care of us. And what's great for me in Chicago is they're two blocks away from my brother-in-law's house. Nice. Nice. Yeah, it was really great. And then the next morning we drove to Indianapolis and met up Gavin Smith at Comic Book University. And that was our last stop. Gavin actually hosted us and him and his wife like cooked for Joe and I when we, it was very awesome. The whole tour was extremely successful. So many people came out. We felt so overwhelmed with support. So... Right, that's a big tour. I thought it was like in the same city, but you were all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> Walt has been super supportive about it too, so we couldn't have done it without them. <laughs> I'll tell you something. I'm out here and I'm exploring different comic shops, seeing what's out here. And I went into one that was in a shopping center uh, next to a Target, and I was looking around, and there, you know, front and center on the rack, was your book, She Said Destroy. <laughs> yep. Oh, you should have took a picture for me. <laughs> well, you know what? I'll probably go back in there because you know me. I see back issues and stuff, and I'm like, oh, I gotta go back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I'll take a picture and I will post that. 
But let's talk about the book, because this is why we're here. She said mm-hmm. destroy. Now, of course, you mentioned Joe's writing the book, Joe Corallo, and mm-hmm. colors Rebecca Nolte, and letters Melanie Jurimori. I hope I said that right. Uh, it's rather a complicated story at first read. We're stepping into a place, it seems, far, far away. But basically, it's leading up to a battle between two gods, the one that has wiped out all the other gods, Bridget, the god of the sun, uh, except for one god, Morgan Death, Queen of the Fairies. It sounds pretty complicated, but it's not. Tell me if I missed anything, number one. And number two, what is it that readers can hook onto? Is it um, the relationships among the characters? Because that's what I could kind of hook onto was that I can relate to these individuals in the book and how they're struggling against this evil and how they're working together to get training, get ready. So there's very human relationships among all the characters, which makes it really fascinating. But Tell me more about the book. You actually didn't miss anything at all. Oh, good. My reading comprehension's good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you described it perfectly. Um, so I'm just going to go back to this podcast and memorize the exact words. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what I really enjoyed with Joe's writing is that he did focus on the followers of each goddesses to focus on to. Because you as a person, when you're reading this book, probably couldn't relate to a goddess, you know? Uh, They have magic that they can form and use it for the will of the people. So we focus a lot on the two or three main characters under each goddess as they're about to wage war against each other. And the followers of the Fae, which is the Morgans people, are probably the most understandable characters because they are questioning everything and they are pretty realistic with how they are understanding the situation of what's about to happen. And I relate to them myself because those are the types of characters or tropes that I usually, you know, automatically go to. So I'm glad that Joe writes characters based off of all of my favorite types. We really focus a lot on the world building which is probably why the first issue has a lot in one packed issue. But as you get into issue two, you'll sort of start to realize that everything was kind of laid out for you. And issue two actually comes out today. And it's hard for me to discuss it because Joe and I just got off this tour and, you know, we are wrapping up issue five. So the end of the arc. And we are planning all these things. And so it's... (laughs) It's a little difficult for me to kind of describe this because I'm thinking in my mind of everything that's about to happen. Right, right. (laughs) You see the big picture. Yeah. We do tend to relate the series a lot to Star Wars. And I think the way that it sort of is parallel with that is a lot of the world building and focus on certain characters that you end up following. And that's probably one of the best ways I can describe it. Another parallel to Star Wars, Luke and Darth Vader, that Darth Vader was his father. In this case, Bridget and Morgan, they're sisters. Mm-hmm. They are related and they're battling each other. It's kind of interesting that the God of the Sun, which you would think, you know, throughout history, ancient cultures, that was like the sun god, you know, the main god. This is the one that's smiting everyone else, all the other gods, and just deciding to roll with an iron fist like a dictatorship and just take over which is an interesting spin on a sun god. Mm -hmm. I think that in ways that we've described Bridget in the past is that she's kind of like a tyrant. Mm -hmm. However, 
When I try to look at characters, I try to see like their motives behind, you know, why she's trying to take over and why she's trying to battle her sister. And it's my belief that she's trying to gain the powers to essentially take care of her people. And she wants everyone to kind of convert over to her people so she can also take care of them. Well, you know, that's what makes it such a good book is that there are shades of gray. It's not just good, bad, black, white. Exactly. That's almost exactly what we're going for. (laughs) (laughs) So you said that's one of two books you have coming out. The other one, Devil's Die. That's a miniseries through Black Mask tied into the Black series with Vita Alaya, who you mentioned. And you guys have been on tour throughout the year. And tell me about the series. Now, I know that we're looking at a drug that is affecting the black superpower people and making them just lose their minds and go nuts. And there's the thought that, hey, someone's behind this. Someone's trying to make us look bad. Someone's out to get us. This isn't just some fluke. What else about the series? How is it going with Vita? And what do you have planned down the road? The Devil's Die series is great. And that was a great introduction to the series. The last and final issue is today. And the way Vita wraps up the series is incredible. Um, I remember when I first read the script, I was like, oh, geez, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a very difficult time <laughs> finishing this up. I cried a little bit. Vita's an incredible writer. So to finish that series up with them and, you know, have this great relationship with Sarah Litt, uh, our editor, for Kwanzaa and Tim to be so supportive of letting us kind of take over their vision has been an incredible process. So Indigo, the main character of the story, she is an individual with superpowers. And with this wrap up of the issue, we kind of get in and tie every loose end possible. So it's definitely the one issue that you definitely want to pick up. It's a great addition to the series if you haven't read Black already, which follows Kareem, who is X, the main character of the first series. And now I guess there's a follow up that they just kickstarted. Indigo and X are actually friends in this and we follow both of them and detective waters who's in the first series as well trying to break down this vanta ring which vanta is the drug it's a lot more involved than just breaking down a drug ring is all i can say without spoiling it It does tie in very well with the main series of course it would because it's you have the architect behind the book and i have to say you know your art it's evolving it's getting I say it's evolving. That's not the way I want to put evolving it. Evolving is a great way to put it, I think. Yeah, okay. okay. Definitely. <laughs> but I'll tell you, if people haven't seen it, like, well, I'm not familiar with it. Well, first question is, where have you been? But that's okay. I understand. <laughs> I mean this in the best way possible, too. It reminds me, if I have to say, what kind of style is it? It reminds me of Chris Somney. Like, you do so much with simple lines as far as the expressions and the characters and how you really flesh out it in a panel with not fussy, not super, super detailed but it's all there with that simple line that is to me that is like just as impressive as someone who renders a very detailed piece of artwork is someone who can do it with just a few lines that's kind of like the magic that takes place on the page i do mean that in a complimentary way i do take that as a compliment i love chris's work a lot so that means a ton that thank you so much so if people aren't (laughs) familiar with you know liana's work okay that gives you some idea of what it looks like so you really want to check this out i think you'll really enjoy it when you mentioned the word evolving so i went back and looked at the first issue which i did i want to say well over a year ago i'm very proud of myself for the amount of skill that i have gained from issue one to issue four 
And I'm really proud of myself and I'm proud of the series and working with Vita and evolving, I thought was a great term to use for it. They kind of helped really uplift me before I got to working on this vault series. So it's kind of cool to see the growth that I've shown. Well, I can't wait to see where all this takes you because you've had a lot of work over the past year, two books coming out. So of course your art's going to evolve because you're just working at it and working at it and working at it. And that's the only way we do evolve and get better is to keep working at something. So mm -hmm. after this, what else do you have planned? Can you share anything in the works? I don't have anything concrete yet. I'm working on a ton of anthology pieces mm -hmm. like Dead Beats, uh, which is also run by Joe Carollo and Eric Palicki. And I'm working on a Guar piece. I want to say piece because the way it's kind of the terminology, I forget what it's called when they have multiple artists, but it's in the same storyline. Is mm -hmm. it Rochambeau? I forget. The way Miner described it is interesting, but I have a piece coming out in the new Guar book. I think I'm doing a Romero anthology as well. <laughs> wow, you are busy. I, yeah, and I may or may not have another anthology on top of that. I'd have to check my schedule. You got to look at the calendar. What's going on today? Yes, Where am I? Yes. What am I doing? <laughs> Erica Schultz and I actually, we were working on a pitch, but we're all, we also have a piece coming out in one of the 2000 AD books at oh. some point soon. Maybe it's a future shock. I'll have to check on that. Okay. But I am working with a couple friends on doing some pitches. And with comics, what I find is interesting is when you are planning your year out, every, nothing's concrete because everything is a collaborative effort. So timelines are never going to be the same for everyone else. When Joe and I first started this series, I didn't want to commit to any other jobs that were more than an anthology piece or more than five pages or what have you, because this co-collaborative effort and something to have creator own published was far more important to me uh, to focus on than trying to find, you know, my next paycheck because it's like an investment for me. So, Absolutely. Um, <laughs> Choose carefully. Yes. This is why I don't have anything lined up in the pipeline. However, all of my editors and friends have been, you know, looking out for me. So I can't imagine that I won't go too long. Oh, I don't think so. Not after she said destroy and devils die. People start reading that, the word gets out the buzz, and you've already seen the crowds coming to see you at the signings. Oh no, it won't be long. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. Oh, oh gosh. Thank you for believing in me. <laughs> Well, now we're to the point where we kick back with the creator to learn more about you as an individual. Not like we haven't already talked about things like that, because, well, that's how the show works. But these are the questions asked all my guests. And I don't think I've ever had a chance to ask you those, because we just met at the comic shop briefly promoting the Where We Live anthology series, because you had a book in there, or a story in there, rather. So let's learn more about you now. What do you like to do for rest and relaxation? So as a Floridian, I really like being by a pool. Um, I can't say that I have one, but if anyone's inviting me to a pool or a beach, that's like my number <laughs> one thing that I would do. But uh, I actually play a lot of Destiny, which is a video game by Bungie, and that's my kind of decompression time. But what's funny is I play with a ton of comic artists, so <laughs> it, sometimes it turns into a little work chat, but it's kind of worth it because it's a lot of artists, and so we kind of get to talk about our day or relate to somebody that knows what we've went through in that day, which is fun. Absolutely. It's the mini support group. Got to have it. <laughs> yes. Uh, I am incredibly grateful for Josh Hickson and Kelly Williams. They are my two guys on my fire team. So 
They're fun. I also have two dogs, as you could hear earlier mm-hmm. on. Um, and they are my favorite part of my life where I can just kind of decompress, walk outside, go hang out with them. And yeah. What are their names? They are Ula. She's the oldest. She's a rescue. And Ollie are Corgi, the one that's very vocal, super vocal. Well, pleased to meet you. And I don't blame you for barking at me because I did not introduce you. And that's my fault. So <laughs> I'll make it up to you someday. Sorry. I'll bring you treats. <laughs> <laughs> Now, thinking back to a favorite birthday of yours, what was so special about it? I think that it is hilarious that you ask that question because one of the things that I've always asked when first meeting somebody is what your favorite birthday was. And people really? make fun of me all the time. <laughs> but it's every single friend or, you know, whatever that I've ever met. That's so hilarious. Favorite birthday. I will have to probably say my 30th, which is a newly chosen favorite birthday, but it's because my three closest friends all flew out to go meet me in Savannah. And Savannah was a gorgeous town. You could tell it's an art town, which is really fun. And we just kind of all got to, you know, a whole weekend of no plans, which that's my MO is rolling out of bed and not having anything to do, which is great. And just, I'm going to decide to go to this restaurant and then do nothing for six hours and sketch a whole bunch and, you know, whatever. So that was a perfect time to do that. And I turned 30, which is pretty cool. I think that's a good age. It is. I'm proud of myself. I remember that. <laughs> that's that's when I could roll out of bed and say, "What am I going to do today?" Now, when I roll out of bed, I have this little kid standing there, and he's like, "Milk." I'm like, oh, "Okay." You have to get out of bed now. Yeah, yeah, I have to. Yeah, that's great. Thirtieth birthday. Now, these are hypothetical situations. The first is the desert island book. If you were on a desert island and you're stuck there for a while, what is the one book? And it can be a set of books if they're all related. That's fine. That mm-hmm. you want to read for pleasure. They don't have to be practical. I'm not talking survival. We're just talking, I need something to take my mind off the situation. I need something to entertain me, something I like to read repeatedly, or something I mean to get around to, and this is my opportunity. I would probably say this is going to be really nerdy. Well, that's why we're here. <laughs> that's okay. I would okay. probably say a fantasy flight Star Wars Edge of Empire book. So like a D&D book. Oh, okay. It would be more constructive mm. and probably give me more things to do but if i had to choose a comic it might be saga all right that's a very good one yeah there's a lot that happens in it so i feel like it would be a lot of content that i could take my time on yes it's very epic now the other hypothetical vault comics says leanna we're gonna make an action figure of you this action figure is going to have an accessory like they often do in the box. So what would be your accessory? And when I ask that, it's usually something that would speak to you, something that expresses your personality. If you asked Mike this, he'd probably say my cell phone. <laughs> <laughs> um, is this a desert island situation or this is just oh, in no, the you're, box? You're off the island. Okay. <laughs> no, okay. This is I'm just, just making what, sure. You know, you're talking to the company that's making the action figure and they're like, okay, what do you want for an accessory? And it can be accessories. It can be more than one. I would probably say for comedy factor, a knife. And for realistic factor, probably like a tablet of some sort. For comedy factor, a knife? Mm-hmm. I'm in stitches. Why a knife? I don't <laughs> Because it would make me look super edgy. Oh, I see. Okay. (laughs) 
Or the dogs. If the dogs were allowed to be an accessory, definitely the dogs. That's okay because people have said my pet, my mm -hmm. cat, my dog, whatever. So, yeah, it's, it's a part of you. It speaks to your personality then, of course. Yeah. Now we're back in reality. We're talking real time here, real world. What is your beverage of choice? Can I do alcoholic and non-alcoholic? <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely. Because I'm starting with coffee today. That's my beverage of choice in the morning. Yeah, so coffee is actually my beverage of choice. I just take it black and I really love... There's a Canadian coffee place in Guelph, Ontario called Red Brick. And my best friend sends me bags of beans pretty often. And I would say that's my favorite coffee. That should be your favorite friend, too, sending you bags of coffee. She beans. is. Stacy <laughs> actually helps me. She's my best friend, and she actually is my quote-unquote virtual assistant. She helps me actually plan out all of my projects. <laughs> uh, she's a huge comics person, too, so it helps. And then my secondary drink of choice is right now, it's a gin martini stirred with a lemon. You mean right now, that is your favorite drink, not that you're having one right now. No, no. Okay. I'm definitely having coffee right now. <laughs> when we agreed to do the morning podcast, I was like, I need to make sure to set the coffee maker like way ahead of time, just so that way I'm very, very, very awake for the podcast. <laughs> Those are both excellent choices. When you think of all the jobs you've had, we talked about working in the comic shop for trade. What is the oddest job? you've ever had something a little unusual that you did just to kind of pay the bills maybe while you were in school summer jobs anything that's a little different I was a sandwich artist at Subway I like that sandwich <laughs> artist so you started an art early <laughs> yes that is the corporate title but I actually worked in a jewelry shop which seems like it would be a creative job but I worked there for a couple months I'm pretty sure I was 16 and it was just to open it before the boss got there it was a very strange job because I don't think I had any responsibilities other than making sure nothing got stolen, <laughs> which sounds like <laughs> a great job now. Probably that way. With no restrictions, anyone, what is the one project you want to work on someday? Something you have in the back of your mind? It could be your own creator, own project. It could be a property out there, uh, you know, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, whatever that you want to work on someday, you want to have a shot at. Is there something that you're itching to take a shot at drawing? I think it would be very fun to do uh, an Ocean's Eleven graphic novel. Oh, yeah. However, I'm sure WB loves to give that license out. Never, obviously. <laughs> I have a deep affinity and love for DC, and I would love to do either a Robin book like noir or like a flying Grayson's book, but not focus on the circus, if you will. I have an idea for like a graphic novel that I would love to do as well. But, you know, writing for me is very new. So, and Joe has helped me a lot with it. And um, he lets me kind of co-plot some things and he's always offered to help me, you know, write or edit stuff and I think that's something that I would really like to try more of in the future because storytelling is fun, but I can only draw one book a month, right. <laughs> not two. <laughs> so it would be fun to kind of write a book and also draw a book a month. Being an artist is storytelling the way you're doing it, sequential art. So obviously the next step would be if you're comfortable with it and you're working with other writers, so you're learning the ropes. So 
do your own thing. And it would be fun to work with an artist and give them full control based off of their style. So I think as an artist, I'd be able to see or be able to play to their strengths, which would be very fun. Like it almost kind of like a strategy game, if that makes sense. It does. And there was one question I neglected to ask you that's kind of out of sequence, but all the same, when you were growing up, what posters or pictures did you have on the bedroom wall? Oh my gosh. So hilarious that it just came out, but I had three very massive Evangelion posters on my wall. So Evangelion just got released, re-released on Netflix with a new um, dubbing. And I remember when the first movie came out and I got a hold of, I don't know if it was like a ripped copy or something. And I remember watching it. And after the movie, I got so depressed that I like pulled all the posters off my wall, (laughs) almost in like a teenage angst, like anger. But a lot of that and, you know, typical like teenage, like handsome posters and, you know, Spice Girls and things like that way earlier on. But a lot of anime, a lot, a lot of anime. And then later on when I lived with one of my old roommates, we had a lot of DC stuffed framed. I remember we had a, a lot of Queens of Stone Age posters because I used to, I collect the screen print, like band posters. We had a screen printed Mallrats poster that Stan Lee signed. Oh, wow. <laughs> so it was almost kind of like moving from one children's bedroom to a giant adult children's bedroom, but in the entire house. Uh, so it was kind of cool to live with him for a bit, my old roommate, James, just because we were still very much like comics, everything right. nerdy, everything needs to be nerdy on the walls. So, yeah. Welcome to my house. Yes. <laughs> Here's what I did. All my comics are in this closet under the steps because that's where I said I'll have them all in one spot out of the way hidden. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I haven't hung up a lot of my pictures yet, the art and everything I have, the original art. So what I did was I have a set of the Foom posters, Friends of Old Marvel fan club. These things are pretty easy to get your hands on from like the early 70s because there's so many. There's like a warehouse full of them. And they're covers of old Marvel comics from the Silver Age. I used Funtac and adorned the inside of the door, the walls of this closet with the posters. Ooh, that's fun. So it's like my little man cave where I could sit, yeah. I, could actually, I could actually sit in there surrounded by the boxes, neatly stacked and alphabetized and numerized and everything and read a comic if I wanted to. I could hide in there if I wanted to. I'll take a picture and post it at some point. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you a little... actually have it alphabetized and yeah. everything? Yeah. Yeah. I had everything like by title alphabetized by publisher because I've been meaning to do this for a long time and get everything sorted out and I finally did and with the move I wanted to make it easy to pack and unpack so when the guys brought in the boxes I'm like okay boom 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 they all fit in the closet I'm like I did it (laughs) they they fit I need your advice I feel like because with the multiple moves uh, we have I think 15 short boxes that are in complete disarray and I was like yeah you know what now that we've moved and we have the space I'll totally just catalog everything mm-hmm. I have so many regrets why did I decide to do this I had to basically cut the collection in half get rid of the a lot of the newer books that I have in trade or digitally because I just could not physically get them here without getting more storage space in one of those cubes to get them out here and that's not going to happen because it's really expensive And so I've got like 40 short boxes. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that's reduced. And that does not include trades or magazines, but they all fit with room to grow. So I was really happy. (laughs) 
But yeah, I just, you know, over time, I just started going through everything and, you know, getting everything together by era, like Silver Age, Bronze, Copper, and then by publisher for the more recent books, like, you know, Dark Horse, Image, Vault Comics. That's just the way I kind of got things organized. But it took me a long time, but I had to do it because I started winding up buying duplicate back issues <laughs> because oh, I, I for, yes. I'm like, that's a really cool issue. I got to get that. Oh, wait, I have it. <laughs> I've run into that a couple times. Yeah. I've been trying to complete uh, this Robin run that I've had, and I want to say I have like six or seven duplicate back issues, and I'm like, what should I do with these? I need to find something, because I spent the money on them. Might as well. Right. There's a couple things you can always do. You can go to a local comic shop, and perhaps they may be interested in getting the book. And I don't look for money, you know, I mean, because I know that generally they're not worth a whole lot once they're sold newer books anyway i mean you buy them to read them to enjoy them you don't buy to invest in them but if you do have duplicates sometimes your local comic shop would be happy to either take it for trade perhaps credit let's say yeah Uh, there's a bookstore where i used to live mainly on the east coast or like east of the mississippi called second and charles and i took a ton there just for trade because they give you credit and you can buy used dvds books albums cds and so me you know i take a bunch of my more common comics in i trade them in i get credit and i saved up enough credit to get tuma dracula number one (laughs) so i told my wife i said i'm reducing the amount of books that i have so we don't have too much to move but i'm going to replace it with quality back issues that i've been meaning to get that Mm -hmm. i just could not i guess i could pay out of pocket but that's discretionary spending and it's a lot of money and yes. I get the stink eye then. It's like, hey. <laughs> so <laughs> I mean, uh, when I was in the comic shop here locally, I was with the kids. And I said, come with daddy. And we were at Target. They were going nuts. I said, come with daddy. And I'll get you something if you're good. So I got them something. And, of course, I got myself something. And then my wife finishes up at the store. And she comes in. And she's at the counter with me. And she's looking at the price of the book. Oh, and she's no. not saying anything. It wasn't crazy. It, not, it wasn't crazy at all. It was a nice meal out. Anyway, um, so, <laughs> so yeah, what, what, yeah, I mean, modest, modest meal. So she says, uh, so make sure you don't go. I, said, I know. I saw you looking. Believe me, I'm not going crazy. But, you know, hey, I can't help myself. But, yeah, I, I've agreed to, to stay within a budget now. I always had a budget. And then, well, you know, I kind of get a little off the rails on it. My budget recently has been going towards original art. Ah. Like, I just spent, I want to say, a portion of my budget for the rest of the year on a crowded page, actually. Oh, very nice. Very nice. Well, that's one of a kind. Yeah, yeah. So I can understand that. I did that, too, for a while. (laughs) too much and just like uh, i'm gonna okay. start running out of room on my walls so it's probably good that i <laughs> don't have very often to spend well here's what i did <laughs> i bought portfolios where you can slide the art into it like a book and mm-hmm. flip through it so i know everything can't go on the wall so if it's really really special i had it framed yes and if it was somebody i corresponded with then i put the correspondence in the back of the frame in a little pocket well, that's so cool. So if it's like somebody like, for example, Tom Palmer, he did a piece for me. So I put the little correspondence in the back. So in the future, you see how this came about, who I was talking to, uh, you know, so forth and so on. The rest, I just put into a portfolio. I can't put it all out. And sometimes I just rotate, put mm-hmm. pictures that are up. But it's a good problem to have. And I understand how you feel because it's like <laughs> it's one of a kind. You want it. I mean, like I, I was at uh, I was Heroes Con last year and Rudy Nebrez was there. 
and there was an amazing picture of Man Thing, and it was a movie version, and I had to have it, and it was so reasonable. I mean, it was so detailed, and then I met another gentleman. There were two of them, and they actually were part of a bigger picture because he bought the other one, and he put his next to mine. He's like, Look at that. They were one big picture. And I was like, huh. And he was buying a lot of art. Every day I saw him, he was flipping through art. So. Wow. See, we're not that bad. No, no, that's <laughs> true. We I, are well, very I did, restrained. <laughs> I saved up a lot for heroes. Uh, you have to. I knew that a portion of my sales were definitely going to some commission. <laughs> I, I somehow convinced Jeff to call to do a piece for me. And I have been wanting a piece of his for a long time. Mm -hmm. And we actually tabled next to each other at C2E2 when I tabled with Erica Schultz. Mm -hmm. And so I kept like leaning over and I'm like, hey, can I watch you draw? And he's like, oh, yeah, totally. Like, thanks for asking. You know, (laughs) such a such a cool dude. And uh, eventually at the end of the show, I was like, so you're going to be at Heroes, right? And he's like, yes. And I was like, so can I be the like number one top of your list? (laughs) Get in there early. (laughs) Since I'm like months ahead of time. (laughs) So that was fun. And I, of course, got another piece by Paul Azaceda. I think that's going to be an annual thing that I end up getting. (laughs) Oh, that is great. That is great. He did a variant cover for She Said Destroy for um, Forbidden Planet Jetpack. Uh, Yeah, it was probably one of my top accomplishments this year is to get him to be on a variant cover. (laughs) And he works on Outcast Image Comics, right? Yeah. He's so good. Well, it's been a pleasure talking about your books, She Said Destroy, and Devil's Die, and your tours, and of course, just geeking out with comics and about comics and art. So, Leanna, thank you so much for being on Creator Talks. Thank you so much. I had such a great time. All right, folks. And before I wrap up the show, I have a few creators here. Just want to let you know about some projects that they're working on. They've been on the show. Stephanie Cannon and Matt Knowles now have their Kickstarter running. It started on July 16th. That runs about 30 days. It's for the final issue, number 11, of Heirs of a Sealed Door and the Trade Paperback. Plus, you can also get issues 1 through 11 enhanced. So check them out on Kickstarter for this steampunk fantasy, the final chapter, issue number 11, Heirs of a Door. Also a good friend of the show has been on twice, Cullen Bunn, Master of Horror, has a new book out, Unearth. It came out July 10th. It's about a flesh-warping disease ravaging a remote village in Mexico, and the book is co-created by Kyle Strom and Baldemar Rivas. And another book you may want to check out came out originally through Alterna Comics, written by Dave Swartz. Feast or Famine, with art by Joseph Cooper and letters by Wes Loker. Dave handled the coloring of the book. And here is the abstract for the story. In a parallel dimension, world-renowned inventors Nicholas Tesca and Dr. Albeline Stein discover a mysterious radio signal from outer space. Believing it to be a form of an advanced alien race, they set off on an adventure that will alter space, time, and the very fabric of existence. This story is now being collected into a trade that you can get through Dave's Indiegogo campaign. So you can go to Indiegogo and look up Feast or Famine if you'd like to back that campaign to get a trade of the three issues of the series. I think I'll have to get Dave on the show sometime to talk about this book. What do you think? But I can tell you who is coming up in two weeks. Carlos Gifani and Juan Doe about their Dark Horse comic, Strayed. Now, this is Carlos's first creator-owned comic book, and Juan Doe 
is working on Bad Reception for Aftershock. You've probably seen his work on Dark Arc with the aforementioned Mr. Cullen Bunn. And also, he is working on covers quite a bit, and most recently for Dark Red. So I will talk to both of those gentlemen, be here in two weeks, and I'm trying to keep my pledge of doing a podcast every two weeks. And if I fail in that endeavor, it'll be because I bring you more than that. So loss for me, win for you. Meanwhile, you can follow me on social media at Creator Talks Pod. That's at Creator Talks Pod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. On Instagram, my Saturday Silver Age and Sunday Bronze Age comics from my collection. The show is available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, YouTube, and now on Spotify. Please rate and review the show if you have a chance. It goes a long way to helping me, myself, and other podcasters appreciate your feedback. The good, the bad, the ugly. Knowing what we must do to make each show the best it can possibly be and shout outs for other podcasts that I enjoy and I urge you to listen to include Long Box Review with Eric meanwhile at the podcast with George and of course the R&D Adventures Network with Ruth and Darren including Trekker Talk, Xenozoic Xenophiles and Warlord of Worlds for non-comic book podcasts May I recommend for you Hammer House of Podcast with my first guest on the show, Paul Cornell. He has worked on Doctor Who in Elementary, and he is joined by Liz Miles to talk about all the Hammer Horror films in sequence. For excellent interviews and a series of questions that Alan Alda asks all his guests at the end of the show, you should check out his podcast, Clear and Vivid. I'd recommend the one with Carol Burnett. Really good interview. Anyway, try all those out, try something new, and I'll see you in two weeks. For Creator Talks, this has been your host, Christopher Calloway. Until next time.